Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening. And then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford, this is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy. And sometimes... We all need a big sister to call on. Welcome to the third episode of Big Sister Hotline. I'm joined this week by uh, Karen Pickering. You are my guest big sister. Hi, Karen. Hi there. Uh, Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, Karen? Well, I'm a writer and I've written a couple of books. Um, One about women's experience of sex called Doing It and another one about menstruation and menopause called About Bloody Time. So niche things then, really. Yeah, you know, stuff that nobody cares about except for half of the population. (laughs) Well, we're going to get right into the questions um, as we always do. And our first question today comes from Lauren, who actually lives in London. Hi, Lauren. Hi. Now, you messaged me last week with a bit of a thorny question about flirting at work. Do you want me to read that question out or do you want to explain it? Um, Yeah, sure, I can explain it. Basically, um, I work very closely with someone um, and I get on very, very well with him. Um, But there is a little bit of kind of an undercurrent of flirting um, at work. But I guess the issue is that this man is someone who I both have to work very, very close with. But he's also someone who both has a partner and two children and is also kind of 15 years older than me. So I guess my question is, is that at what point does something that is a little bit of flirting cross a line when you're talking to someone who you get on very well with and have to work very closely with? And what, when is it more than okay? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because flirting is a lot of fun. And we've probably all of us had situations where we've had those people in the workplace who, you know, we have a little bit of a frisson with and um, there's a little bit of a spark or, you know, electricity. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's sexual. Sometimes it's just fun banter. I mean, that's what I keep hearing on the dating apps that we should be looking for, just a bit of bants. What do you reckon, Karen? I think that there's platonic flirting too. You know, I think like I like to flirt with, you know, the tram driver and the person behind me in the queue at Woolies. You know, just, you know, oh, going to make a rhubarb crumble. Yeah. I mean, it puts a little bit of a spring in your step. Well, it cheers me up. Well, I guess the question to you though, Lauren, is are you concerned because you do you think that it's inappropriate for him to be flirting with you because of his family or do you feel, are you worried that you might be somehow complicit in something that is inappropriate or, you know, um, complicit in some form of adultery? I mean, I don't think that it's adultery because I think that he definitely would never do anything that would be, I I mean, any form of physical cheating and I don't think he's that kind of person at all and there's never been any kind of, um, form of anything that's anything beyond that. But I think yet. I would never want to be a person. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I would never want to be a person that would be putting anyone in a position where it's inappropriate. Um, Does it make you feel uncomfortable or are you quite comfortable with the situation? I'm quite comfortable and I get on very well with him. Um, but I guess as well, I'm kind of like, is it inappropriate to be flirting with someone occasionally where there is that, like I said, it's not, very, very sexual and it's not, you know, outright flirting that I would be doing with someone who I know is single or, you know, but there is that kind of undercurrent sometimes. And so my thought is, is that inappropriate when you know someone is in a relationship and someone who is kind of older and has a partner and so it's a, um, you know, should that be happening at all? A bit of a sliding doors, you know, if, if circumstances mm. were different. I mean, look, personally, I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. I think that um, the idea that we go through our entire lives without having any attraction to anyone else or indulging any kind of, you know, even gentle sort of flirtation with anyone else is not just unrealistic to me, but I also think probably quite unhealthy. I think it's quite unhealthy for relationships Anyway, I'm, I would hope that his wife might be having her own little flirtations maybe with the man behind her at Woolies. Mm, or maybe with me. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, if it's fun and if it's lighthearted and if there's nothing, if there's no intention there from either of you to progress it any further, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't really waste time worrying about it. As long as you kind of keep her at the forefront of your mind and make sure that you're behaving respectfully towards the fact that he is in a relationship. I think that that's all that you kind of need to worry about. Having said that at the same time, and Karen, I'm interested in your thoughts on this, if it were to progress further as well, I mean, there's a whole mess of complications there, but life is also tricky and messy and I wouldn't think that that was something that you need to necessarily beat yourself up about because... You're the free agent here. And too often I think people take it, you know, they they project blame onto women involved in situations like this when it's really not your relationship, not your problem. Yeah, there's no such thing as a home wrecker, yeah. inverted commas. Um, and that's a really kind of, you know, basic thing that gets thrown at women when they're in this situation. But I do, I would in the big sister capacity <laughs> exercise some caution about having any kind of hookup at work. I think your job is so important and especially when 
the wash up of a fuck up at work is going to affect a woman so much more than it's going to affect a man, Absolutely. even if he is the one who's married with children. And so I think for me, I would, you know, tell my younger self to be really circumspect and maybe don't engage in anything with anyone at work that I wouldn't do in front of their partner or that I wouldn't do, you know. Um, That's really good advice. 25-year-old me would definitely not have taken that advice, <laughs> but um, but 42-year-old me can give it. <laughs> yeah. Does that help, Lauren? Yes, completely. Um, I think that makes me feel a lot better. I'm really glad that we made you feel better about the situation because that's what Big Sister Hotline is all about. Thanks, Lauren. Take care. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline. Now, this one's actually quite sad but also hopeful, Um, and I really hope that we can help Kate out. Kate asks, Hi, Clem. I'm a young widow, mid-30s, getting back into dating after eight-plus years out of the dating game. What's changed since then, and how do I navigate dating as a slightly more vulnerable than average dater? Oh, Kate, firstly, my sincerest condolences for your loss. That's terrible. What a terrible tragedy. And uh, But also congratulations to you for, I guess, getting back out there and, you know, not not wanting to close the door on your romantic life. That's um, that's a really impressive thing. And, you know, from the outset, I, I think that we would both like to say that we wish you the best of luck in that endeavour. Having said that, dating apps are a fucking shithole. We wish the news was better. Sorry. We wish that we could give you, you know, um, more reassurance about dating apps. But dating apps aren't dating. Yes, that's right. Dating apps are a... Uh, a passageway into what can be some very nice experiences with uh, some very lucky people who will be lucky to spend time with you. But I guess, the you know, I recently, um, in very different circumstances, uh, also re-entered the dating game after about seven years out of it. And I was kind of shocked at how some things had changed. Like a friend of mine was telling me the other day that um, she was re- she's re- recently just left a marriage and she was really surprised to find out that no one practices safe sex now. And her friend said, oh, yeah, that's over. No one does that anymore. And she felt like she was kind of a bit of a square for expecting that people might use condoms. So that might be something that surprises you, just the different ways that engaging with people sexually has changed. And you're coming from a very vulnerable position because, you know, it wasn't like a relationship ended by your choice. It it ended in sadness and I'm assuming unexpectedly. Yeah, and, like, obviously we are going to assume that you know yourself and know your mind and know when you're ready, and if you are, that's great. Um, But you also sound very self-aware and that you know that it might be, you might be more sensitive or vulnerable um, Mm. about, you know, intimacy or, you know, sex or whatever. Yeah, my point before about dating apps not being dating was also that there are, you know, there are people who still do meet in the world outside of apps. Mm. And, you know, I guess I would take care with the apps because I think that they are incredibly brutal. The advice that I've given to um, other people is that think of dating apps like poker machines. You know, you have to pay to play and you are you almost... You might be paying with money, but you're paying with something. With your energy and your time. And that's really valuable. Yeah. And you're paying with a... You're taking a risk. It's a gamble every and what, time. Yeah. And one of the things about apps as well that, um, you know, you're coming from the... from You're in a position right now where you're feeling a little bit softer and more vulnerable then perhaps you would like to be entering that situation. And that whole app experience can be very 
you know, can make you very cynical and jaded and you get excited about someone and then, you know, people are ghosted all the time or it, it feels like because it's a swipe culture in the dating app world, people are constantly looking for the next best thing or they sort of their attention is spiked and they they get excited but then they kind of go off a little bit and it's almost like absent-mindedly opening the app just to sort of swipe and see what's there I mean one of the most depressing articles I've ever read was um I think it was in Vanity Fair and it was an exploration of tinder probably about five years ago and a woman described having had a hookup with someone in her New York neighborhood and as she was getting up and getting dressed to go home she saw him pick up his phone and just absent-mindedly start swiping through Tinder again. So, you know, Karen's correct. Go gently and go with the knowledge that you're not probably going to find the next big thing in the next five minutes. If you're doing it for fun and you're doing it for connection, you know what you want, then it's going to be easier. But I would also say, and this is extremely Gen X old school of me, but I would actually say join some local groups like do a class in something you know take French go learn pottery like walk your dog at the same time as everyone else every night like try and find other ways to talk to nice strangers that's not necessarily these you know meat market apps Mm. because I feel like if you have the physical space with someone you know you're going to know whether or not you have an attraction you're going to know that you have something in common and like I say that's very quaint and old school of me but I do think yeah strike up the conversation with the person at Woolies you know like there are there are kinds of um, ways to opt out of some of the really harmful aspects of swipe culture as you say Mm -hmm. but if you do use them which if you do that's totally fine just you know um, know your worth and take care of yourself and don't take any guff from those swine. Which is excellent advice for anyone who who is looking to date or is dating or is in the dating game is that, you know, knowing your worth is really the the most important first step because we can fall into this pattern of thinking that, oh, well, anything will do or everyone's out there doing it or this is just the way that people behave using these things or I'm, you know, again, saying I'm the square because I have these expectations that I might be treated with, you know, some kind of respect. I mean, I went on a date with a guy the other night and he turned up wearing a really nice shirt and a tie and it was a really nice date and I I remember feeling really impressed that he dressed up a little bit, you know, which is ridiculous. The bar is low. The bar is so low. It's like that old joke, you know, why did the feminist man walk into the bar because it was sex? so low. So it's it's that sort of like trying to find that nice balance between being open and remaining vulnerable as you are and open to good positive experiences and not letting those jaded cynical attitudes kind of wear you down but also you know respecting yourself and and having holding having, the line on yeah, your standards you know That's a really good way of putting it holding the line on your standards and you've already been through something so hugely emotionally traumatic you don't want to niggle that wound by dealing with these loser fuck boys who are going to make you feel bad about yourself Correct Best of luck Kate we're with you Godspeed Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline And we're on the phone with Ash now. Uh, Ash is one of the many men who listens to the show who also needs a big sister. Hi, Ash. Hey, how are you? Good, thank you. Um, I've got my uh, friend, guest, big sister, Karen Pickering here with me. So, uh, shoot, what's your problem? Uh, Well, I've been working in the mines now in Western Australia for probably nine years. And I'm struggling more and more to deal with what would be the rampant 
and pervasive uh, misogyny that exists mm. in the industry. Um, I think looking back on it now, when I first got into it, I didn't notice it so much and then it's just become more apparent. Maybe that's more to do with me really. but And now it's it's getting to a point where it's almost untenable, mm. <laughs> if that's the right word to use anyway. In one-on-one situations and in group situations, obviously it's a male-dominated place. Calling it out is fine, but it seems to be a, a losing battle, a never-ending battle. I was wondering what tips you might have one-on-one mm. and also in group situations where it's probably a bit more boisterous and schoolyardish, so to speak. That's an excellent question. And actually, um, funnily enough, it's something that I hear from quite a lot of men as well, is how do they speak out against the misogyny that they see being modelled um, either by their friends or people that they work with? And it's really hard because it's one of the ways that patriarchy works to keep men in line as well as by making them police each other. One of the best pieces of, ad- of advice that um, I've given on that or that I've, I've learned to give on that is that to minimise risk to yourself and not have the pack turn on you because then that that won't achieve anything. It's actually helpful to kind of turn the, the question back to them. So if you're speaking in a one-on-one situation, say one of your colleagues or maybe one of your work friends says something grossly misogynistic or racist or homophobic or whatever it might be, you can pose that back as a question to them, say like, I don't really get it. Why do you think that's funny? Can you explain it to me? And sometimes that will put them on the defensive as well. But it's a way of shifting what I think, what I see as being the spotlight of shame. So oftentimes these these tactics are used by people to make other people feel uncomfortable and they kind of rest easy in the knowledge that they, they have the power in that situation. But if you switch that spotlight of shame back onto them and say, can you explain it to me? Can you tell me why you think this is um, funny or why you think this is appropriate or just feign total ignorance as well. I don't get it. Can you explain it to me? Then they have to, they're kind of forced into a situation where they have to sit with what they've said. So that can be really, really helpful. Um, In terms of boisterous, you know, larger groups, gosh, that's really scary for women as well. You know, that's, we, none of us, I think, have come up with a perfect solution. And, you know, your question reminded me of some of the, um, some of the controversy that's happened recently with some Catholic schools in, you know, there was St Kevin's, of course, and then there was recently one in Bendigo, of large groups of boys being caught chanting, you know, misogynistic chants on public transport or on private, a private bus was the one in Bendigo. And, of course, when these people get caught for it, they they get upset at being exposed somehow and they sort of insist that no one was offended by it. Well, maybe you didn't find it offensive, but clearly people were offended by it. So there's something in there as well that's, that's acting as a way of policing and controlling people's behaviour. Karen, would you like to weigh in? I think the advice that you gave is excellent about um, shifting the discomfort from yourself and giving it back to them and saying, I don't get it. Like, what do you mean by that? Um, I think is a great strategy for so many situations Mm. where people are, are trying to disempower you and trying to strong arm you in a way, um, but they're also trying to draft you into joining in with them. Mm. And I think with with men and, you know, male homosocial bonding, like the way that it works is either you either join in with me or you laugh and that validates yep. me. Or that makes me think that what I've said is okay and that's yep. how that works. Or that it's appreciated, yeah. you know. And so I think that the other thing that you could do, and this works for the bigger group situations as well, is the grey rock. Mm. the literal, I give you nothing. 
I know this is hard because it can obviously be read in some cases as aggressive and hostile. That's the irony of it. Like doing nothing Mm. can be seen as doing something. But I use this all the time with people where if someone's being very rude to me or if someone is making, you know, um, offensive remarks or whatever, if I feel safe to question it, I might do that. But otherwise I give them nothing. Mm. I don't laugh. I don't even give them the pity smirk. But I also don't give them my reaction. I don't give them the benefit of knowing that they've pissed me off or that they've upset me. I just literally look at them It's actually with nothing. Yeah, and and actually what you've raised as well is it's a broader issue for the I mean, I call me a cynic, but I doubt that the company that you work for probably really cares that much about what's going on, you know, after hours, because that's the way that this behaviour manages to to continue and sort of proliferate. But it is actually a workplace health and safety issue as well, because it's clearly having an impact on your mental health in some way, in some respects. It's, it's having an impact on your enjoyment of the work. You described the situation as being untenable in a way. And I would actually go back to that and say that if you're feeling that way, other men that you work with are feeling that way too. And you may not be able to recognise each other at this point in time because you all have been conditioned to believe that you might be the outlier. When actually I think that there's probably lots of men who are feeling the same way that you are. And if you can somehow figure out how to find them, and maybe by using Karen's tactic of, you know, the grey rock or just not smiling, not engaging, or even just saying, I don't think that's funny, or can you explain why you think that's funny? That actually indicates to the other men who are feeling the same way that you are that they're not alone either and they will start to seek you out and you can slowly start to form alliances and you know kind of develop a group that sits in opposition to that behavior until hopefully at some point you become the majority and they become the minority does that help yeah it does i it's funny that there are some responses that have been like that but of course in that sort of really caustic environment it's mostly then aggressive responses back. Uh, I think the one I get the most is, uh, well, clearly I'm a homosexual. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you like women, like so you must be a big gay. Yeah, yeah um, of course. But the, the response to that is always, um, that's why I'm in mining, man, because there's 300 dudes out here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, unfortunately it's not a problem that uh, can is easily solved, which is why we're all out here trying to dismantle patriarchy for the benefit of everyone. But thank you so much for your question, Ash. I uh, really appreciate it, and I hope that that has been helpful in some way. Yeah, thanks, guys. Cheers. That concludes another Big Sister Hotline for the week. You can send your questions into bigsisterhotline at gmail.com or you can just message me on Instagram. It's just at clementine underscore Ford. We take questions on all topics. And thank you so much, Karen, my guest this week. You've been amazing, filled with so much great Big Sister advice. I love you. It's I love you too. It's been my pleasure. Big Sister Hotline. The phone line is open. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.